You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Welcome, my friends. What are we talking about today? We are talking about Portland again, because Portland, they've just been all over the news. What have they got going on now? Well, we know that there's been just a crazy increase in crime in downtown Portland. So the answer is apparently new Portland ordinance aims to speed approval for businesses security measures. So businesses can kind of protect themselves a little bit from this ongoing crime. And so instead of stopping the crime, we're trying to put some ordinances together so that they can protect themselves from the crime that we're not really addressing. All right, so that's part one that we're going to cover. And part two is teenagers have been robbing Portland dispensaries. This one, this one's kind of a wild one. Do you remember the movie Drugstore Cowboy with Matt Dillon? Yeah, it's kind of like that. We're going to talk about this. Before we jump on in, if you're new here, thanks for joining. My name is Sean Reynolds. I own a couple of real estate companies in, here in the Seattle area. Thanks for joining the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Let's get into it. New Portland Ordinance aims to speed approval for business security measures. And this is from KATU Channel 2 ABC. There's still a lot of cleaning up going on in downtown Portland. On Wednesday, yesterday, crews were scrubbing graffiti off the windows at a vacated jewelry store, getting ready for a CVS pharmacy to move in. There's still plenty of people who work, shop, and live downtown who don't feel very safe about being there. Same thing with same thing with Seattle. Just a lot of employers, a lot of employees, and the people that would normally shop there, they're not feeling real comfortable with how things are going on. That's been an ongoing thing since before the pandemic. Pandemic has just made it worse. Here's something. Um, I tell my friends, don't come here. I will come there to meet you, said Shannon Rivers, who lives downtown Portland. She recited a lengthy list of her own safety precautions she's taken. I think most people, when they get to this taking all these safety precautions, that you're either a diehard to live in downtown, you've just got some connection to the area where like, I'm never leaving, they're taking me out in a casket, that kind of thing, right? Because otherwise, when you start going through this stuff that I'm going to read you in just one second, and you're like, okay, if I have to do that in the area that I live, I'm probably going to reassess my priorities on my living situation and Find a different solution, whatever that may be. Maybe I move to the burbs. Not really sure, but here we go. I bought a little mace keychain. All right, not a bad thing, especially for a gal to have in an area that, you know, got some psychos walking around. So I got a mace keychain. Got an alarm at 130 decibels. That is enough to blow out your eardrums in, in, a, in a very short period of time, right? 130 decibels. That's some, that's some who recording levels right there, right? Loudest rock band. And a taser wand, a taser wand, all right? I don't even, I know what a taser and then separately what a wand is, but I don't really know what a taser wand is. Maybe I need one. I should get one, a taser wand, just, just to have. Maybe just keep in the glove box, never know. And a flashlight with pepper spray. So you've got light and uh, I can pepper spray you. All right. A variety of things to use. So I, so this gal spent 150 bucks that she would have rather not spent on that, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid to go out, she said. She's afraid. So she's got, she's got the key, mace keychain with the alarm. You've got the taser and you've got the pepper spray just to leave your house, leave your residence in downtown. At that point in time, when I'm walking around with four potential, um, you know, rebuttals of crime, repellents of crime, 
rebuttal. That makes no sense. That's a verbal thing, right? So um, when you get to that point, I think I'm probably just a no-go. I think I need to reassess. I need to reimagine. I need to rethink where I'm living. That's part of the reason the city commission passed an emergency safety and security ordinance on Wednesday, yesterday. The ordinance waives design review for security measures like outdoor lighting and security gates, a process that can normally take many, many months. At Wednesday's commission meeting, some people testifying were concerned that builders and architects could get careless with their design and not keep it in line with traditional design restrictions. Traditional design restrictions at this point in Portland's um, where they are within the cycle of business, traditional design restrictions do not matter. Getting the area safe again, that matters. Let's throw out who cares what it looks like for now. We'll work, work, we'll work on that when things get better, right? Because for right now, you just need to get people back into the downtown core, and they're not going to go back there until they feel safe. So aesthetics, I get it long term. Yeah, you don't want you don't want your downtown area to just look crappy and irregular and like LA, right? You don't want it to look like that. But um, in the in the short, short term, I think you need to do whatever you can to make businesses feel safe. And their patrons feel safe and, and coming up with these safety measures. That is good. But it's kind of like, all right, but you're just admitting that this crime is running around rampant. And you're not really solving the initial the initial blow there, which is people running around criming in downtown Portland. But Mayor Ted Wheeler said he considered that in his yes vote and says that this ensures that the city has an investment in the community, uh, okay, and instills confidence that this is still a place to do business. We're going to allow you to protect yourselves from the ongoing crime because we're not really doing anything about the ongoing crime. But hey, this measure here, we support you. That's how I kind of see it. It's like, what? All right. I mean, it's not a bad thing for businesses to be able to go through quickly a permitting process so they can make their businesses more secure. How about we make the streets more secure? How about that? I don't know. Does that does that seem out of line? Does that seem out of well, it's a reasonable thought. And so therefore, you know, we're not gonna go we, we can't have that. I mean, 2021, there's nothing reasonable, except you guys, because you're tuning in to somebody talking about reason. I believe this ordinance has been carefully crafted to balance on one hand the respect for the lived-in environment and architectural integrity of the built-in environment and the very urgent need for this city to get back on its feet and recover, he said. Lock the people up doing the damage for a longer period of time than a couple of hours. Keep them there for a while. Keep them off the streets. Guess what will happen? People will want to go back there. If they go back and see and see downtown Portland isn't overrun with broken windows, boarded up windows and graffiti, they might consider going back until you get that squared away. People aren't going back to even see that the businesses have the security measures up that they got a quick permit for, right? That's what we're talking about. And business has been down. From March to November of 2020, the vandalism in Portland's commercial districts was up 47%. 
And it was already high to begin with, right? And in that same amount of time, the pedestrian count for downtown Portland was down more than 80%. People are not going to downtown. It's according to uh, Portland Police Bureau. Andrew Hone, the CEO and president of the Business Alliance, that's like downtown association here in Seattle. Portland Business Alliance says the ordinance is a key part of getting businesses up and running again, but just a part. And that's kind of how I see it. This is just, this is one tool let the cops make their arrests. Prosecutors in Portland, put these people away for a while. You'll see things turn around. I know it's not a popular opinion, actually, you know, having some um, consequences for actions, but personal responsibility dictates that sometimes you have to say, I was wrong and I need to go to jail for a while. That's where we're at, right? And, but we're just not doing that. And that's why you've got these crime patterns just running undeterred. The most important element of all this is the vaccine. The faster that gets distributed, the faster it gets us to herd immunity, the faster we can reopen the economy. I think we're all well overdue, said Hone. We're thrilled and grateful that we have elected officials prioritizing the reopenings, reopenings that we know have to happen. We have to get back to work. We have to reboot the economy in a big way. So this is a great win for Portland. And I'm just sitting there scratching my head going, what? What what are you talking about? Uh, I, I understand that, uh, you know, the vaccine that's out there, but this is way beyond the vaccine and all that. This is just people don't want to go to downtown Portland because it's not safe. They don't want to play dodge the human fecal matter in the sidewalk. How many times have I said that? A lot. Uh, those are the issues. It's It's not the pandemic. I mean, that's yet another layer on top of it that's made it worse. How about the homelessness situation? But you get the, um, you get the, you say you get Portland to herd immunity, all right? They're still not going to go to downtown. No, they're going to go. All right, I'm not going to get the Rona, but I might get killed. Therefore, I'm not going there, right? And that's, that's what I'm going to talk about in the next story is a bud tender. You guys know what that is? It's like a bartender, but it's a bud tender at a dispensary in Portland, got killed, got killed uh, in December. And, um, you know, those are the things that uh, people want to avoid in their daily life. The city calls it crime prevention through environmental design. And some longtime downtowners like Barbara Swan think the new design review ordinance is at least a good step in the right direction of getting business back to business, that and getting the criminals off the street. That would be an excellent step. But what would I know? I can't imagine that after all these things that have been repaired for their businesses, that somebody would actually vandalize it again. But I believe it would be a very good good for a start. I can. I can believe that somebody would actually vandalize it again. Absolutely. That's what they're doing. And what are the, the repercussions for their actions? Nothing. It's a lot, to be, uh, a lot for the city to be doing for their businesses. No, it's not. It's not. Actually getting the crime off the streets, that's... That's something that would be done. But then they would actually have to do something. Instead of speeding up a permit process, okay, now it's a couple of weeks instead of four or five months, all right? It should have been you know, a, a fast process to begin with. This is ridiculous. Red tape in city, especially a city like Portland, it's horrific. Andrew Hone says the city does have to does have money put aside through Prosper Portland to help businesses pay for repairs and improvements caused by the protests and vandalism, and may be able to use some of that money for the new safety and security ordinance. We always hear this stuff, and yet you just don't really seeing it making an impact 
because you've still got the storyline. Yep. And yet another business is leaving. All right. So do we have some businesses coming into Portland? Yep. There's always somebody doing something, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the story of any big business or any big city. Sorry. But, um, you know, what we're talking about here is an ongoing pattern of crime that people are trying to avoid in downtowns and Seattle's just like that as well. Let's, let's move on to the, uh, the next story. For nearly a year, teenagers have been robbing Portland dispensaries. Then somebody shot a Bud Tedner. Ugh, crazy. Okay. Uh, in one year, Portland area cannabis shops reported more than a half of million dollars stolen. $500,000 in, in uh, I think it was weed and cash. Michael Arthur worried he might die on the job. For almost two years, the 44-year-old father worked as a clerk at Cured Green, a cannabis dispensary tucked in an alleyway behind a small grocery store and teriyaki shop along North Lombard Street. Arthur's girlfriend, Chiara Ryder, says he grew increasingly fearful of a robbery. Around November, Ryder says, Arthur told her that he had seen four young men scoping out the shop late at night. He ended the conversation with a warning, if I wind up dead... These are the guys who did it. It raised the hairs in the back of Michael's neck. It made him afraid for his life, Ryder says. It wasn't his words. It was the look on his face. On December 14th, Arthur was shot to death in a robbery at Cured Green that scored a few jars of weed and a tip jar containing less than $20. So just not a big score to that took somebody's life. His death horrified the cannabis industry. It shouldn't have been a surprise. People who've watched Portland's weed crime spree say the fatal shooting was only a matter of time. By the time Arthur was killed, Portland cannabis shops had already been robbed, burglarized, or looted 95 times in 10 months. And that's according to data from the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. 95 times in 10 months. I mean, they're just totally targeting weed stores and mainly because it's cash business, right? You can't use a debit card, can't use a credit card because at the federal level, marijuana is a class one narcotic. Yeah, it's in the same category as heroin, cocaine, meth. Uh, But we sell it in stores in states that have said, yep, it's okay, let's tax it and move on with our lives. So the criminals know that there's a lot of cash on board, or at least if they steal some weed, they can sell that too. Pretty, there's a ready market for that, especially good weed, right? All right. So that number is now up to 103 robberies, burglaries, or lootings with three armed robberies so far in 2021. They know they can get away with it. And if they get caught, yeah, they're not going to really do much time if, if they even get prosecuted. I think half the time these guys are just like, ah, uh, we're not we're not dealing with you. We've got these protesters over here too. We, we're not dealing with them either. So you guys just keep keep doing your thing. In one year, Portland area cannabis shops reported more than a half a million dollars stolen, five hundred eighty three thousand in cash and products gone. Since the pandemic descended in March, weed stores in Portland have been plundered at a rate of about two per week. It's the largest crime spree uh, targeting one of one of a kind business in Portland memory and carries echoes of drugstore robberies in the 1980s. Do you guys remember that at all? Drugstore Cowboy, Matt Dillon, that was an amazing movie, kind of depressing, but it was like, okay, and it was literally set in Portland, Drugstore Cowboy, Matt Dillon. Um, and that was an autobiography. The book was an autobiography about a guy who'd been on drugs for years, most of his life. And he ran a crew of people knocking off drugstores. We had a ton of that in the 1980s. I, I remember that clearly. It's like, man, this is an epidemic because you could get the drugs 
at the drugstores. A lot of people were hooked at that point in time. That was kind of the the really early onset of the kind of the pharmaceuticals and the opioid uh, addiction stuff going on. And we're like, drugstores? Why? Ah, oh, they got the good drugs there. All right. That makes sense. We specifically said somebody's going to get killed, said Mike Getlin, who owns a cannabis farm and founded the Oregon Industry Progress Association, a lobbying group. I think it's going to happen again. And it probably will. Because where there's crime, there's going to be something that goes sideways in a robbery, somebody gets taken down. During a three day period in late May and early June, 20 shops reported getting hit. In August, one shop had its ATM lugged away. Those bad boys are not light. I mean, you just pawn an ATM away. Brutal. In December, a weed delivery truck driver was robbed at gunpoint. One shop owner was cleaning up broken glass from a break-in earlier that night when a second gang wandered by and burglarized his shop. At least four bud tenders have reported being zip-tied during robberies. Ugh, that's horrible. I've heard of employers saying that their employees are requesting that the shops don't open. We do not want to work there too dangerous says Jesse Bonteku, co-director of the Oregon Retailers of Cannabis Association. If someone comes in and puts a gun into your face, it is a terrifying thing. That is clearly a under, an understatement. It's terrifying. It, yeah, horrible. Janes are hit up just as often as mom and pop shops. When Willamette Week called the Mr. Nice Guy dispensary in East Portland, one of four in the metro area, and asked if it was the location that had been burglarized, an employee replied drolly. You could be calling all of our locations, said the employee, and you'd be calling the right one if they've been burglarized. So they've all been burglarized. So this is a total trend going on. And um, what what are local officials and police doing about it? Court records suggest it's mostly the work of teenagers. At least seven of the suspects the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office has charged so far were juveniles. Five more were teenagers ages 18 to 19, and most were still in high school at the time of the crimes. It's unclear whether the wave of cannabis shop robberies is a nationwide issue or unique to Portland. Willamette Week was unable to locate comprehensive data or reporting on such incidences in other cities. I have not seen this either. I've heard this narrative kind of going on, but I haven't seen anything uh, as specific as this article here in the Willamette uh, Week. The spate of robberies is occurring amid a pandemic that has squeezed low-income Oregonians, sent alienated students home from school, and has crime soaring across the city. It's compounded by turmoil at the Portland Police Bureau. All right, so here's some of our answer on the police, which took a $15 million budget cut in June, defund the police, remember that? Yeah, well, it was all the rage, and now we're kind of at that point where... Maybe that wasn't such a great idea. I don't know. I'd kind of like a redo on the whole defund the police thing. So $15 million budget cut in June and then saw an exodus of more than 100 officers last year. Since that cut, Portland police have made a showing of declaring to the public, and I've seen this in Seattle too, and by extension to would-be criminals, that they are understaffed and unable to respond to calls in a timely manner. And we've been talking about that here in Seattle forever. All right, you don't have enough cops to make the city safe. What do you think is going to happen? And I've been talking about, so along the lines of a, a bud tender being taken out, I've been talking about just normal people are going to get taken out. And you know what the police are going to do? Hey, this is what you guys wanted. You guys wanted the police defunded. We lost a bunch of cops. Now we can't protect you. What did you think was going to happen? 
I mean, that's kind of the way I see it. And it's kind of one of those, uh, what am I missing here? Of course, that happened. It's really sad. Somebody else got killed. And there will be a big uproar. It'll, it'll just be a big uproar. But it's also like, well, that's what happens when you spread the police too thin. And that's kind of what I've been talking about forever. And a lot of other people, reasonable people are on along the same lines. You don't have enough cops in the street. What do you think happens? Crime goes away. Oh, yeah, let's, let's even this up. Let's even this up. Let's not do our criming here. Let's go to the next town that has more police officers on the street that de- didn't defund their, their, their police department. We know that we're going to have less of a chance of getting away with our crime there. But, you know, as a responsible citizen, let's tear, take our criming there. No, that's never going to happen. They're going to go to where they're not going to get caught. Seattle, Portland. It's compounded. Okay, so we got that part. And then there's one factor that makes weed shops a more tempting target than convenience stores or drug stores, liquor stores and other retailers that have stayed open during COVID. They deal almost exclusively in cash. So if you go into and that's why, you know, the stores always have an ATM, because you can't buy weed using a credit card affiliated with a bank, or a debit card affiliated with the bank that's FDIC insured. That's a Fed deal. So weed stores, you can't do anything to do with traditional finance, right? So it's all cash. They've always got a cash machine in there and everybody buys in cash. So it's an easy place to knock off because you know they've got a bunch of cash. And oftentimes it's not on one of those timer things that you see the guys at 7-Eleven loading their money into because they've been robbed so many times. All right, so it's a cash deal. They're ideal targets for this kind of crime. That means they're sitting on two things many teenagers want. Number one, cold hard cash. Number two, jars of weed. So, I mean, this isn't this isn't rocket science here, but what we do need is, yeah, you probably need to arrest a few of those kids, give them some decent jail sentences, set an example. See how that goes. Oh, but can you just hear their parents? Oh, little Johnny, he's so good. It was just that one time that he took his Glock and pointed it right, stole the stolen Glock and pointed it right at the bud tender's face. Other than that, he's a really good kid. I know he's got that other arrest when he was a juvenile. Yeah, and he stole the car once. But beyond that, my little Johnny, he's such a good kid. He's got such a bright future. Don't put them away for a couple of years. Oh, please. Nah, put them away for three. I don't know. Just you got to do something to kind of set the example. Otherwise, this stuff just keep going on, right? Something drastic needs to be done, says Anthony Johnson, a former criminal defense lawyer who organized Oregon's cannabis legalization efforts. The notion that these businesses have to operate with a lot of cash definitely make them a target for robberies. All right, so... This is a segment of the business population that has just more of a target on it than than not. Um, some of the weed stores here in Seattle, I've read the storylines, they were Uncle Ike's here in Seattle, uh, big, big weed store, just some enormous numbers they put up as far as sales go. The, um, the peaceful protesters don't like Uncle Ike's because it is to blame for gentrification in their neighborhood. Gentrification. So a business comes in and fills a need and they get blamed for gentrification because they cleaned up the building and they made it into a weed store that serves the community. And they get, they get told they are the primary cause of gentrification. 
some of this stuff to me is just like, uh, I mean, I, I can kind of see where you're going. Your neighborhood's getting cleaned up. You're getting some businesses in there that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Typically, that's viewed as a good thing. But we go down this road of gentrification. And um, I see that storyline so often when it just means an area has been redeveloped because it's time had come. But then I'm a heartless real estate guy, right? I mean, I just see things in kind of black and white. Does this make economic sense from the highest and best use standpoint in the appraisal process? Does this make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, so the people bought it, who thought they could make some money on the end use. All right, that's how real estate goes. And unfortunately, somebody who owned it before, no longer theirs. Oregonians used a lot of weed during the pandemic. Cannabis sales boomed. More than $100 million worth of product was sold in January 2021 alone, compared to $68.7 million the previous January. Man, that is like, uh, that's up uh, another third? That's, that's a big number. Sales have been increasing steadily since Oregon voters legalized recreational use in 2014. Since 2016, the cannabis industry has paid more than $400 million in taxes to the state, including over $133 million in fiscal year 2020. But federally, pot remains a Schedule One narcotic. That means dispensaries can't open bank accounts because the banks would risk federal prosecution for holding the money from a criminal enterprise. A criminal enterprise that the state says isn't a criminal enterprise. This, this whole thing has always been to me like, all right, when are you going to legalize weed on the federal level? Because you're gonna, that's going to happen. All right, we already went down this road. Let's just finish her out. Let these businesses operate the way they should be. Even if you don't believe in weed, I think you'd, you'd realize, all right, we're not going back. We're not making weed illegal. We're not making weed illegal. So just go all the way. Do that whole thing. Uh, decriminalizing hard drugs? Yeah, I'm a no-go on that. Weed? All right. To me, it's less harmful than alcohol. So let her rip. Um, let's let the weed stores get on with their thing. So the lack of cannabis banking has created a public safety crisis, and that public safety crisis can be addressed very easily and very quickly at the federal level, said Bo Whitney, a Portland economist and business consultant for the cannabis industry. And he may take a toke every now and then. He might even inhale. Who knows? It's unknown. I see it as kind of like some people have a glass of wine, some people take a toke, some people take an edible, whatever your thing long as you're not harming other people, and you're not living in a tent on the street. I'm okay with that. Some people have that addiction gene, and they go down a wrong road, probably shouldn't be taking a toke, right? I mean, just even though weed isn't, by, uh, by most people's standards, it's not physically addicting. I think there is, um, it, you know, messes with your head, and maybe it leads you to do other stuff. Um, that you wouldn't have otherwise make decisions that are probably not in your best interest. So some people shouldn't do it. Other people eh, like a glass of wine. They enjoy a glass of wine after work or two or three or whatever it is makes them happy. I don't like wine. I'm a no-go on wine. Sorry, guys. Um, in Oregon, a handful of credit unions will work with cannabis retailers. I believe that's the same here in Washington, enabling dispensaries to deposit their proceeds, write checks and pay business expenses electronically. I've been, I've taken a look at a bunch of weed companies. I've had people ask me, hey, you want to invest in my weed company? And it's like, I'll take a look at their prospectus and see what they've got going on. But if a business is illegal at the federal level, 
That is a no go for me. That's a hard no go. Don't care what your profit margin is. Don't care how much opportunity there is down the road. Because if the feds can come in and seize your business, that's not really a model that I want to get involved in. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, there's a lot of other business opportunities out there. That's not one. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could get involved and probably make some pretty good money and the risk is probably low. But the fact that you've got that risk in there, to me, hmm. There's other opportunities out there. You don't need to go there. All right, so we're going to finish out here. Is there anything else here good here? Uh, we're talking about credit unions. So even if a retailer has been approved by one of the cannabis-friendly credit unions, all-in-one store transactions, they are cash only. That's because most cu uh, customers have credit or debit cards affiliated with national services like Visa or Nash, uh, MasterCard, which are subject to federal banking regulations. A credit union account didn't keep a send from getting robbed. Okay, so there's there's some other stuff in this article, but I don't think you guys really care. I'm not going to read it. Um, plus, I think we've beaten this one to death. Crime is a happening in Portland. What are we doing about it? Not a lot. Yep, we're going to speed up your permitting process on some safety precautions you as small businesses can take. That should help you out. All right, good luck with that. All right. Hope all is well. Hope you sell a lot of widgets, whatever it is you're doing. Okay, that's it for me um, on this one. Thanks for being here. I'll catch up with you guys in the next one. Bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out. 